This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What is up? Welcome to episode 150. 150 of these now I've done. I'm kind of pumped about that. I'm not even going to lie to you. You know, I started this about a year and a half or so ago. And if you told me at that time that I'd be doing 150 of these, having some of the guests on that I've been able to have on this podcast is still going strong, I'd gladly would have signed up for that. I've signed up for that 10 times out of 10. So I'm very pumped, man. Hopefully you can hear the enthusiasm going through me right now, the energy through my body. I'm really pumped. Anyway, episode 150 of the Moranalytics podcast presented today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Thursday, September 5th. Usually this episode drops on Friday. I have a Tuesday show and a Friday show, but uh, not this week. I know how it works, man. It's the opening week of the NFL season. And there's probably going to be a million and one Buffalo Bills and or NFL preview podcast out there over the next 24 to 48 hours. So I'm not going to sit around and wait around to listen to everyone else's. Hopefully you're going to give this one a listen. As always, thank you for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. And I'll tell you what, on today's show... You know, I usually try to mix it up and have a little bit of a variety of things so that you're not just here for one specific thing. Try to talk a little football, a little hockey, have some movie reviews, maybe talk a little 80s music, a little wrestling. Of course, I've been doing a lot of chicken wing stuff over the summer, in part because it's been the NFL offseason, but nope. Not today, sir. Not happening. Today begins and ends with straight football talk. That's all we're going to do on this podcast today. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to have, and he's going to be on in just a couple of minutes, a really, really good guest. In fact, he's a recurring guest now because I've had him on before. My guy, Joe Marino from the Draft Network and also from Locked On Bills podcast that he hosts, which by the way, that's an incredible Buffalo Bills podcast. You definitely should give that a listen. He's going to be my guest today. 
And we're going to spend a ton of time talking about the Buffalo Bills. We'll have a Buffalo Bills season preview. And we're also going to have a league-wide NFL season preview. We're going to have predictions of both the Bills and both the NFL. But primarily, of course, because this is typically, I mean, not fully, but primarily a Buffalo sports-based podcast. So we're going to spend more time, of course, talking about the Buffalo Bills. Lots of things going on. So many topics to get to. The big story, of course, over the past week, LaShawn McCoy getting the axe. Kind of a surprise. I don't want to say I was surprised. I, I guess I was surprised that it happened now. I thought for a long time that he was not going to be on this roster this year. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you would know that. I've said it many, many times over the past six months or so. But once it got into the preseason, I'm like, well, they got no reason to cut him at this point. But I was wrong. So are a lot of us. So in that regards, definitely a surprise. I'm going to get Joe's take on that. What LaShawn McCoy meant to the Bills. What it says for Devin Singletary, what it says for Frank Gore, what it says for TJ Yeldon, what's going to be the plan at running back. I'm going to get Joe's thoughts on all that. We'll spend some time talking about the offensive line, especially Cody Ford. I mean, is this guy playing guard? Is this guy playing tackle? I know he's played tackle the last couple of practices, played a lot of guard during the preseason. Is he a starter? Is he a reserve? I'll get Joe's thoughts on all that, as well as the offensive line in general, which obviously is a complete transformation from last year when they were just absolutely historically bad. So if you're going to take the optimistic point of view, no matter where Cody Ford plays and no matter whether he starts or not, this line has to be better than it was last year, right? Yeah. Defense. I'll tell you this. And it's crazy, isn't it? This defense is good. This defense might be very good. And you know what? This defense potentially could be one of maybe even the best defense in the NFL. But here's the funny thing. We barely even talk about it. Not just this podcast, any podcast out there. And I get why. Pretty much all the headlines in the offseason have been on the offensive side of the ball, with the exception of Ed Oliver. Everything's been about the offense. You go out, they redo the offensive line. They get Colin Beasley at wide receiver, two good receivers. They got three new tight ends this year. Charles Clay's out. So I get it. Of course, three new running backs. So Sean McCoy's out. So all the headlines have been dominated by the offense. Understandably so, but... You know what? We're going to talk about this defense some today, too, because they could be really good. If Ed Oliver is as good as he's supposed to be, and some of these young guys are healthy and continue to improve, like Edmonds and Milano, especially a linebacker, Teron Johnson, if he could stay on the field, I love him a lot. This defense could be absolutely lights out. One of the best in the NFL. So we'll talk about that. But at the end of the day, look, <laughs> you could talk about the additions to the end of this earth, okay? What they got going on the line who's running the football, who's catching the football, the defense, how well they're going to play. But at the end of the day, we all know that this team is going to go as far as their quarterback takes them, okay? The success is going to come down to the arm, the legs, the mental wherewithal as a starting quarterback of Josh Allen. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about him too. I'm going to ask Joe how far he thinks this guy has come along in a year realistically, what does he see from him in year two? Because again, his success is going to be the Bills' success and vice versa. So we'll talk about him. Going to have our season predictions for the Bills. I'll get his take on who he thinks are going to be, you know, team MVP, biggest surprise, biggest flop. I'll get a season record prediction from him. And we are going to spend time talking about the NFL as well. We'll go around the league, some things going on. I'll get Joe's takes on those. And then we'll do some NFL superlatives as well. Who he thinks is going to be MVP, Rookie of the Years. I'll uh, get him to project playoff teams. 
And of course, the Super Bowl prediction. That's always fun. So me and him will both do that. Going to have that for you in just a minute. You know what? Actually, again, not doing anything else today. I'm going to get right to it, man. Let's just get right down to business. Again, no WWE talk, no 80s talk, no chicken wing talk, none of that crap today. It's opening week, baby. It's all football, so not going to waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Here it is, my chat with Joe Marino from the Draft Network and the Locked On Bills podcast. Let's do it. All right, my guest, now a recurring guest, by the way, is a senior analyst for the Draft Network and also host of Locked On Bills, a Buffalo Bills pod I really enjoy listening to a lot. My man, Joe Marino's back today to talk some Bills, some NFL. What's going on, Joe? How you doing, man? What's up? Good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me back. I feel honored to be part of the recurring guest column now. Exclusive <laughs> company. Nah, dude, trust me when I tell you, man. The honor is mine. And we were talking about this just before we started taping, which, by the way, for everyone out there listening, I'm dropping this on Thursday, not Friday like usual. And we're taping this on Wednesday. Usually, we have some small talk and other things, but... It, dude, it's opening week, man. This is the, one of the best weeks, if not the best week of the year. So I'm sure you're pumped. You've probably waited a long time for this week. Oh, man. You know, it's funny. Just between all the work I do with college football and pro football, I'm ready for, like, new football to watch. And i start starting to get the uh, the college side, and now the uh, the pro side is here. And, you know, from a, from a podcasting perspective, man, I've got my 150th episode of Locked On Bills dropping on Friday, and it's going to be – the last one where I don't have like a regular season game to react to. So I am ready to stop talking about the speculation and start reacting to real football games. Ah, dude, I'll tell you what, man, we're on the same page because you're literally my guest right now on episode 150 of the Moranalytics podcast. Too, so, <laughs> so props to me and of course props to you as well. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. So I want to spend like the first half of our chat talking and previewing the bill season. Then later on, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about previewing, running around the league as a whole. We'll hit on some topics, and and then I'll get some bills and NFL predictions for you at the end. I love prediction stuff, and I know you do as well. You're good with that, right? That's how we'll roll. Uh, yeah, This and this is – I'm not giving my predictions anywhere else besides the Patrick Moran podcast, so this, there's no <laughs> other spot to get them this year. I love it. I love it. I might need you to delete this in a few months, though, okay? <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what. I'm going to play. I'm going to replay your, your takes at one point of the season. If you're right, <laughs> I'll say, yo, man, Joe nailed it. If you're wrong, I'm going to be like, uh. But it's just the way it goes. But let's start seriously all right here. Let's start with some big Bills news that happened over the past week. LaShawn McCoy, without question, the biggest name to get cut by the Buffalo Bills over the past week. Firmly, it puts Devin Singletary into the mix right away as a rookie. And, you know, to me, it has, and I know a lot of people, at least initial reaction, felt otherwise. But to me, it had absolutely zero. Zilch to do with money, even though LaShawn McCoy's making a lot. And they stood to save, what, I think they saved about $6 million or so by cutting him. Everybody's talking about that. I don't think that at all, man. The Bills are in great cap shape. This was a football move, okay? I feel like they determined that Devin Singletary's ready to have an impact right now. They already have Frank Gore. There's some things about TJ Eldon they like. And probably having LaShawn McCoy on this roster at this point, the worst part of it would have been that perhaps, and maybe this is what they determined, that it would have stunted Devin Singletary's growth on this team as a rookie. What was your take on all this after it went down? What happened? I agree with you. I think the salary component of it was very much secondary 
And a lot of this just came down to Devin Singletary proving that he's ready to go. And rookie running backs, running backs, when they enter the NFL, they enter the NFL in their prime. There's no time to waste. And with Devin Singletary kind of proving himself throughout the course of the offseason and preseason that he can be one of the lead backs for the Bills this year, I think that changed the dynamics of the LaShawn McCoy discussion. I think the Bills were wise to be apprehensive a little bit about Devin Singletary. He's coming into the NFL from Ford Atlantic. Uh, didn't fare well when he had a chance to go up against Power 5 competition. Didn't necessarily test well. Uh, a guy that in college ran a lot of zone scheme, a lot of horizontal tracks with the football. So there's a jump, right? We didn't see him catch the ball. He only had like six catches his final season at Florida Atlantic. I think there was a lot of questions that he had to answer. And I think he's done that. And so when you say, okay, we've got this rookie. And as I said, rookie running backs enter the NFL in their prime. And we've got LaShawn McCoy at a $9 million cap figure. This makes sense for a lot of reasons to move on. And then here's maybe a piece that I think gets overlooked with this discussion. LaShawn McCoy is not going to be part of a three-way backfield split, right? Right. I I had major concerns about not so much Frank Gore eating into LaShawn McCoy's workload, but Frank Gore and Devin Singletary? You start getting concerned about what that side effect could be in terms of the locker room and, and any distractions. And so you kind of add it all together. And even Brandon Bean mentioned it a little bit in his presser, just that, you know, just about how he would respond to it. I think the Bills made the right choice. And I think it's mostly about Devin Singletary and what he can be this year. Well, one of the many reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast again is because it's one thing to cover the NFL, but you're also a college guy. So you know a lot more about Devin Singletary coming into the league than the average football writer, the person who talks Buffalo Bills football, because you have intimate knowledge of him from scouting him when he was still in college. What is it about him that you like? What is it about him that you think the Bills like right now? Because it's not like he got a ton of carries in the, in the preseason. You know what I'm saying? He didn't, they didn't show a lot with him. I mean, he looked pretty good in limited action, but what do you think it is right now about him at this stage coming from college that the Bills like enough to let McCoy go right now? Yeah, you know, I I just to kind of share your sentiments there, I'm a little surprised we didn't see more Singletary in the preseason, especially with the first team offense to kind of get more of a feel about what he can be. But, uh, you know, I when I scout football players, I have nine traits at every single position that I evaluate and they're they're weighted differently. They have different percentages of their overall grade and the top two traits for me that count the most in my running back evaluations are vision and contact balance. And those are plus traits for, for Devin Singletary. I'm not saying he doesn't have concerns and, and other components of his game, but when you talk about what's most important to playing the position and it and it translating well to the NFL, it's guys that can see the field cleanly and guys that know how to how to sustain themselves through contact. And uh man, if you watch Devin Singletary's college tape, it's I mean, Brandon Bean said it, it's really fun. I mean, it's really fun. He is the guy that knows how to get out of situations. He's like an escape artist, man. He knows how to get out of those situations in tight quarters when things are closing around him. He knows how to, I mean, he's 5'7", 205 pounds. So he's a shorter guy, but he's kind of built in such a way that he has a low center of gravity. He's just kind of tough to tackle, despite not necessarily being the most powerful guy. And you combine that with vision, just really good spatial awareness, and uh, and he's going to be productive. And I have concerns that he's not necessarily going to be the the biggest home run threat. And there's going to be times where he's breaking away and guys are going to catch up to him. But my goodness, when you talk about those traits, vision and contact balance, 
he gives you the highest score you can in those two areas. Former Buffalo Bills ESPN reporter Mike Rodak had a tweet recently. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. But he alluded to this entire offseason with Brandon Bean talking up LaShawn McCoy, saying he was their guy, he was their starter, and, and things along those lines. And basically what he was getting at was to don't trust what you hear, trust what you see with your eyes. Would you worry it at all? And I listen, I'm sure this happens all around the NFL all the time. But if you're in that locker room, okay, and you're a veteran, do you think it has any kind of lingering effect? Do you worry at all that the message that is sent when your general manager is sitting up there talking about this guy? Now he's going to be a big part of your offense. You know, he's a starter, this and that. And then he gets cut a week before the season. Do you wonder or worry whatsoever that that might linger in the locker room just a little bit? Two things come to mind when you say that. First of all, I think the shock value of the release was because of what Rodak said. We've been told for two years and recently that LaShawn McCoy is here to be part of the team in 2019. Right. They wanted him around. They've been nothing but committed to LaShawn McCoy. And then we, you know, we wake up from a nap on a, on a, on a Friday or a Saturday, whatever it was, and LaShawn McCoy's cut. So there was that shock value just based on what we've been told. You can certainly look at the situation and the writing was on the wall. But when you're being told repeatedly that he's going to be the guy, uh, there's some shock value. I think you bring a good point there. But I also, in terms of its impact on the locker room, the culture that the infrastructure that's in place, what Sean McDermott has built in terms of camaraderie with this team and and the love component. I know it's kind of weird to talk about that, but just like the 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 bond that exists in this locker room, I think they get that it's bigger than any one player. And so I think if there's a locker room that's kind of equipped for a sudden change like that, like this, you have to feel good about the infrastructure in place that Sean McDermott spent building over the last couple of seasons. I'm sure there's some shock value, but at the end of the day, I, I don't think this changes anyone's goals or mindsets. And uh, they just have to kind of move forward. It's the NFL and, and this kind of stuff happens. I think there's shock value because of the timing and how it went and happened. But again, if you read the tea leaves from the start, which I think, which is kind of what Rodek was getting at here, they go out, they sign Frank Gore literally on day one of free agency. It's not like this yeah. is some old veteran that was laying around unemployed for a couple months. And he said, yeah, you know what? Let's bring him in. He was a day one of free agency target. They go out, they get TJ Yeldon just a week before the draft. So we're like, okay, they got McCoy. They got Gore. Those two guys will shine or timeshare a little bit. Yeldon, I'm sure they could do some things with him out of the backfield on third down guy. But then the draft comes and despite needing, you know, a wide receiver or maybe some other positions that they probably people expected them to address, they go on, they take a running back in the third round. So in some ways, and I think this is what Mike was saying, and I agree with it, the writing was on the wall. And you said this too, the writing was on the wall for quite a while. It's just because once training camp happened, there's no salary cap, which I'm sure has a lot to do with why we started getting comfortable thinking that LaShawn was going to be back for one more year because they had no financial reason to cut him. They're not going to use that cap dollars with or without him this year at this point in the season before it even starts. So you're like, all right, well, let's roll with him one more year. I, I really do. I think it's more about them feeling like Gore is a good mentor and they're ready to develop Singletary. And, and you brought up a great point as well. Maybe... McCoy doesn't take in the locker room being part of a timeshare as good as we would initially have hoped he would have. Yeah, there's no question. And then just kind of the flip side of, of where that goes in terms of, all right, while well, the tea leaves did indicate one thing, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott indicated another thing. And then you look at just the way the preseason was structured. LaShawn McCoy started one game, Frank Gore started another. Then the third game, that, that game against, uh, was it the Lions, where 
Josh Allen only threw the ball six times, and it was the big run the football, let's work on our run game, and it was the Gore and McCoy show. They, they had the same amount of uh, of carries, and then Devin Singletary has one, and right, of course, it's a nine-yard touchdown run. So I think I think they were kind of there in both uh, in both ways, in, you know, in terms of, okay, Shady's gone, but also, hey, this team is still committed to him. Well, one last thing about McCoy, and then we'll move on to other stuff. I hope in a way, anyway, that he's remembered well for his time in Buffalo. He was here for four years. I, I, he has said that he didn't want to come here, but he really came to love the city. He said as much, and I believe, you know, a lot of times I think some of these guys are full of shit, but I really truly believe that he did come to love Buffalo. He wasn't good last year. How much of that is on him? How much of that was on the offensive line, the offense in general? We could debate that forever. But he had three really good years in Buffalo. He scored 25 touchdowns. He was a big part of them helping them break that 17-year drought. Very good player. So in those regards, I think it should be remembered fondly when fans look back, even though the stuff off the field was a major issue. And it was kind of a dick move what he did with the Avengers spoiler stuff. I know people joke about that now because <laughs> it's funny now. But at the time, it kind of was a dick move. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no question. But I mean, just if you think about from the football side, he played for the Bills for four seasons and three of them, he went to the Pro Bowl over 5,000 yards from scrimmage and over 30 touchdowns. He was a good player for this team. And the Bills had the number one rushing offense in the NFL in two of those seasons. Great run. Very much worth Kiko Alonso. Yeah, definitely big time. And again, (laughs) when you do these power rankings down the road, two years, five years, 10 years from now, you can make a very strong case that when it comes to Bill's running backs, he should be ahead of Fred Jackson. He should be ahead of Willis McGahee. He should be ahead of Marshawn Lynch for sure. Now, he signs with the Chiefs, which is kind of ironic. And I saw someone mention this on Twitter not long ago. He joins Patrick Mahomes, Sammy Watkins in Kansas City. That's a team that the Bills could have had in 2017, ain't it? Oh. Yeah, you, uh, you know what I keep saying about that, Patrick, is if everyone thought Mahomes was going to be what he was last year, he'd have been the number one pick overall. And instead, he goes. What was it? Uh, was it number ten? Yeah, he won ten. So, so look. I mean, it, it it wasn't that much of a slam dunk thing. And if you want to criticize the Bills for not taking Patrick Mahomes, well, you need to criticize all the teams in front of him too, because clearly he should have been the first pick overall. If you're going to criticize anything about the Bills, in fact, this just came out. I believe it was in the Athletic. There's maybe other reasons why, but the biggest reason why the Bills didn't draft Mahomes or Deshaun Watson at ten was because McDermott had just gotten the job and he was more focused on his defense. And the, the article said he didn't have time to really scout and evaluate quarterbacks his first year. He was focused on the defense. It really does preach to you about the continuity of a coaching staff and why it's important whenever possible to keep as much of your staff together as possible. Because if they had a different coach, maybe they, maybe the, the scouting system's different and maybe they do have Mahomes or Deshaun. And you're right. I mean, it's a power of hindsight right now, but the whole point is, he was locked in on his defense. It didn't matter who the quarterback was. They weren't taking a quarterback in his first year. Yeah, there's no question. I read that article. Great piece by Matthew Fairburn. And, you know, the big takeaway was they weren't ready to do it. And, right. and there's so there's so much that goes into scouting players and picking the right ones, but especially a quarterback where it's really a year-long process. Because if you go on to read that article, it really talks about being in McDermott's entire year's worth of scouting to get to the conclusion that they were comfortable with Josh Allen. And you're not going to be able to fit a year's worth of work into three months. Right, exactly. All right, let's switch gears a little bit here. Talk about the offensive line. Cody Ford practicing with the first team at right tackle on both media viewing days, Tuesday and Wednesday. We're taping this on Wednesday. It appears as of right now, we don't know this for sure, that he's going to start there this week. You brought up a great point on Twitter, which I'm sure you're going to get to. I'm looking forward to people hearing that. 
for now, Feliciano is, is at right guard and Inseki looks like he might be the swing tackle. But it is, again, worth noting during the press conference, McDermott and very much typical Sean McDermott vintage coach speak fashion <laughs> said that he'll move forward around between tackle and guard. He'll have five guys out there. That's the only nuggets of information that he's willing to give any, on a Wednesday anyway. If everyone's healthy, I'm having a hard time understanding why you would want to move a young guy like Ford around. If that is the truth, if he is going to play some guard, if he is going to play some tackle, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange situation, Patrick. And, um, man, I, I go back to a conversation I had with Eric Wood, who I know is a good friend of the podcast here. And yeah. I, I got a chance to talk with him at ACC kickoff in Charlotte back in July. And we, we had a good conversation about offensive linemen acclimating to the NFL, you know, rookies to the NFL and then, switching positions and then switching from left side to right side and all those dynamics and just how difficult they are. And I've been quite annoyed, to be honest with you, that Cody Ford has bounced around so much because they came in and it felt like he's going to be a right tackle. Right. And then, okay, all of a sudden we get to training camp and he's starting to struggle with speed a little bit, kick him inside the guard. And, uh, you know, then Inseki really steps in and plays good at right tackle. And you feel, oh, well, look, Inseki's the best right tackle on the team right now. He should definitely be starting. And then you feel like there's a host of guys that could probably play right guard and Feliciano Long and Ford, and you'd be okay there. And then Inseki gets hurt and Ford's back at tackle, and he's just not getting a chance to acclimate himself at any one position. So on top of going from jumping from the Big 12, where you're blocking defensive ends from Iowa State and Baylor, you're doing you're blocking NFL defensive ends now. Now you're switching between positions. It's a lot on his plate. And so I've been quite annoyed by that. But I'm starting to gather here that I think the Bills are going to be a little bit more rotational with this offensive line than we've ever really seen. Uh, not necessarily even a week to week thing, but a series to series thing based on what they want to run and what the matchups are. You look at the Jets, the Jets don't really have anyone on their roster that is going to be that dynamic edge rusher, no Von Millers or Miles Garrett's or any of those types of guys are more power type players. And you think, oh, well, look, if there's a game that Cody Ford's going to be okay at tackle, it's probably this one. And even next week against the Jets, uh, Giants is a very similar type situation. And so you're starting to get this feel that the Bills kept 10 offensive linemen and there's going to be some rotation. I'm not sure about left tackle, left guard and center. I think that's going to be Dawkins, Spain and Morse. But you think about Inseki, Ford, Long, Feliciano over there on the right side, there could be a lot of different variables variables in play that would dictate whether they're playing, you know, really series to series, game to game based on matchups. If they want guys to get out in space and pull all kinds of variables uh, and it's, it's different. I haven't really seen this happen before. And so I don't know if it's going to work, but you know, football is an evolving game and we see things every year that really kind of reset what teams do and, and how they strategize and play and, Maybe the next thing is uh, rotating offensive linemen. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if exactly what the Bills are going to do, but I think there's a lot of uh, of clues that we can gather here and, and indicate this could be the case. Yeah, I agree, man. I think there's two things to me that are kind of interesting. And again, I'll keep going back to the Bills' salary cap. I'll beat that drum because they're in such good shape right now cap-wise that they don't make moves, I don't think, that are based on money. But still, at the end of the day, it feels to me like they didn't give Ty Inseki backup money. I feel like he was here to be a short-term starter, maybe for a younger drafted guy, which is literally what they did. And here's the other question, too, that I had for you. I didn't think much of it at the time, but do you think that maybe that injury to Adrian Waddle early on in preseason or actually in training camp kind of spun the wheels out a little bit? Because I kind of feel like 
the the goal at camp was to have Inseki with Dawkins, and then Wada would be the swing tackle, and Ford would be a little bit perhaps worked into each. But I always have heard and felt like he would be a guard. He's better suited to be a guard in the NFL than a tackle. And obviously, you would know a lot more about this. I mean, you study these guys in college. But I always have felt like Ford ultimately was going to be a guard. But with Waddle gone, maybe that kind of changed their plans a little bit. I think so for sure. I think Waddle was the guy they knew when they had they had in their back pocket that can play right and left tackle. And with him no longer in the mix, it, you look at really the only versatile starting caliber player on the roster that you can play at left tackle is Ty Inseki. Yeah. And and if you have this scenario where you know your right guard is Cody Ford, your right tackle is Ty Inseki, and Deion Dawkins is your left tackle, and Dawkins goes down, and you got to take Inseki, you got to put him at left tackle. You got to slide forward over to right tackle and you bring in Feliciano at right guard. You're shifting three positions. Right. And I, 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 I as much as I hate that, Patrick, I, I do hate that. I hate even more the idea of not starting your best five offensive linemen. Right. I don't think you can convince me that Ty Inseki isn't the best right tackle on the team by a good margin. And as far as Cody Ford goes in terms of him being a guard or a tackle, I'm always inclined to to let guys fail at positions before I start moving them around because, you know, he played right tackle his final season at Oklahoma. The Bills were committed to him playing right tackle. And and I wanted to make sure that didn't work before he had to move. And now it's not like he's moving. He's playing both. And so I think that complicates and compounds the issue. I really hate the idea of not playing your best five uh, at the expense of, you know, just not having to play those musical chairs which it sounds like they might want to do. They, they, they're they going to do the musical chairs anyway. So it's weird. And you make a really <laughs> good point. I mean, that's a really good point right now. On one token, you want to play the best five. There's no question about that. But if they do that and Inseki is the right tackle and Ford is the right guard, let's just say they determine he's better than Feliciano. And then in week two, Deion Dawkins hurts his knee and he's out. Yeah, obviously, you're going to move Inseki to the left side. And then you got to move forward from guard to right tackle and then plug a different guy in it would be Feliciano probably at right guard. Again, I, I really think that Waddle injury had something to do with what they're doing right now. Even though Waddle was definitely not going to be a starter, but he was that guy who could play either side. I just don't, I don't like, and I agree with you, man. I don't like Inseki on the bench at all. I get it, but I don't like it. Well, you know, they, they said, uh, if you go back to months ago, Sean McDermott press conferences, you know, they were talking about, we were always talking about, okay, who's going to be the starting five, getting the right five out there and then going with it and let, letting it gel and build that cohesiveness. Well, what is it? Is it that, like, does having that cohesive unit, the communication, the gelling, does that matter? Because if it does, then this is a bad strategy. Yeah. It's very confusing. Well, I guess if you want to take the optimistic approach to this offensive line, no matter what happens with Morissette center, whether Ford plays guard or tackle, whether Inseki is starting at tackle or, or the swing guy, I guess the optimistic approach would be no matter what you do, it's almost impossible to still not be an improvement over the 2018 Buffalo Bills offensive line. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a better unit. There's no question about that. And I think I think it's kind of fun that we're having this conversation about having seven or eight different guys that are worthy of playing. Right. You know, I think that that's kind of the silver lining here. Now it's kind of like, all right, we can get into the weeds a little here and start debating what the best strategy is. But no question about it. The protection in front of Josh Allen, the run blocking will be astronomically better this year. McCoy was the big cut. They did trade Wyatt Teller, who was probably 
Not probably. He was on the bubble of making the roster. No other big name cuts, but I did find it kind of interesting that three guys who did get cut got claimed. Deion Lacey went to Miami. Ryan Lewis got picked up by the Colts. And Ray Ray McLeod, who I'm sure was a pretty tough cut for them, went to Carolina. It's a pretty good testament to me that this roster is being built better and that there was legitimate training camp and preseason competition this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you go, if you extend that to uh, Bodine and Teller, um, you have you have six guys here that were on the Bills' ninety-man roster that are rostered on other teams yeah. right now. You know, I mean, it's it's a true testament to the job Brandon Bean did in assembling a a roster that has good competition and has desirable players for not just the Bills to keep, but others as well. I mean, it, it real. I mean, we haven't seen this in a long time. You know, what's funny is we talk about. LaShawn McCoy and the skill set of the other running backs. We've talked about the offensive line. We're going to talk about Josh Allen in just a minute. But none of that is the strength of this football team. It's the defense. But they go so under the radar because of all the headlines. And I get it, they all, it's, except for Ed Oliver. Obviously, he was the ninth overall pick, so that's a big deal. But you take him aside, and pretty much most, if not all, the headlines this entire offseason has been about the offense. Rebuilding the offensive line going out and getting Josh Allen a couple of new weapons at wide receiver, getting some tight ends to take the place of Charles Clay, who maybe Clay might be more naturally gifted, but the dude was never healthy, man. He was never healthy, so he was never an asset to this team, not for long stretches anyway. And at the end of the day, it's about the defense, and they're really good. I mean, this defense is already good. They get Oliver. They have a year together. They got some young core players that are still probably trending up that haven't even hit their peak yet. This could potentially be, do you feel that this could potentially be one of the very best defenses in the NFL this year? Or do you think I'm being a little bit of a homer here? Which if I am, don't be afraid to tell me. Brother, no, this is this is a good, good defense. It was last year, and they returned 10 starters. They're deeper everywhere on all three levels than they have been in the past. I don't think Sean McDermott's had a penetration-style player like Ed Oliver since he's been in Buffalo, I love Kyle Williams, but you know he he hadn't been the same Kyle Williams in the last couple of years in terms of just physical skill set. I know from a mental right. perspective, from a leadership perspective, he's unreplaceable. But to have this type of penetration style player in the mix here, and you know some more depth on the edge, more depth at linebacker, you know the cornerback situation last year. Think about this: the Bills went through a, a revolving door of options opposite of Trey White in. Philip Gaines and Vontae Davis and Ryan Lewis and finally Levi Wallace plays late down the stretch. But now Levi Wallace returns as a starter and he's got great depth behind him and Kevin Johnson and, you know, Taron Johnson's back at slot corner with Saran Neal as, as an expected uh, versatile sub package player this year. You get excited about the safeties, obviously, and Poyer and Hyde. Good depth behind them and, and Kirk Coleman and Dean Marlowe and Jaquan Johnson who had a great preseason. And, and personnel wise, this defense is pretty much stacked. It's returning a lot of pieces into year three of the defense. You have Tremaine Edmonds, who's no longer a 20-year-old 20, 20 rookie. You know, Matt Milano in year three of his career. Lorenzo Alexander, who's just beating father time and still being a valuable player. This defense is going to be really good. And and I think you, you're, you hear Sean McDermott starting to talk. He wants an edge out of this team. He wants to see this team be a little bit more aggressive and have that mindset to start creating takeaways because – that's the next step here, right? It's more sacks. It's more splash plays. It's more takeaways. And now that confidence, that communication, that continuity, all that together with the mindset of, hey, that's our ball, you're going to see a really good unit this year. Like you said, all the headlines have been offense, 
But this defense is what this football team's all about. Yeah, and I'll tell you, man, I'm that guy who likes to sit down and watch a football game. And more times than not, I, I watch the offense, man. I want to see 42-35 every week. But the Bills are one of those defenses where I don't mind when we don't have the ball because it could be really fun to watch this defense play. I want to say the last guy, obviously the most important guy for last year. Of course, I'm talking about Josh Allen. Very up and down year as a rookie. I think that's what we expected. And I think we all expect improvement here in year two. Well, you know what? Maybe not so much improvement as much as more consistency. And there's plenty of reasons to think that he'll be more consistent and better in year two. He's got better weapons. They go out, they get Beasley, they get John Brown, whether it's Croft, Knox, or, or Sweeney. You have to think they'll be better than Charles Clay. Not again, and I said this just a couple of minutes ago, it's not that I don't think Charles Clay's more talented than these guys, but dude, couldn't, he was never healthy, man. He couldn't, you couldn't count him on there. So you got him, three new running backs, an offensive line that's got to be better than last year. And most importantly, to me anyway, just a full year of being the guy in the organization, growth and confidence, maturity. How much do you think that matters? Knowing from day one, like last year, he didn't know if he was going to be starting, if he'd be a two, be a three. You know, his reps were limited. This year is obviously different. He was the guy from day one of the offseason. How much do you think that matters mentally for him? So, so, so much. I mean, last year... At this time, you know, A.J. McCarron was just traded. Nate Peterman was a starting quarterback. Uh, and, you know, he had shared reps all throughout the entire offseason, a lot of times running with the threes. And he unexpectedly gets cast into the lineup halfway through the opening week. And, and I don't think he was ready, but Sean McDermott didn't have much of a choice. And um, being the guy from day one, being, you know, more – in tune with Brian Dable, having more film and understanding of what works and what doesn't work, having better personnel, having better coaching. I mean, the Bills have new coaches at quarterback coach, offensive line, and wide receiver. And, you know, you think about just that quarterbacks coach. David Coley was his QB coach last year. David Coley hadn't coached quarterbacks since 1992 at UTEP. Wow. Yeah. You know, like, like what are we doing here? And so I think everything around Josh Allen is is improved from a personnel standpoint to him being more comfortable as the leader of the football team to having a more volume of plays at their disposal to run just because there's been more time for him to be the number one quarterback here. It's all right there for Josh. And we know he works his ass off. We know he has the growth mindset and all that type of stuff. And, and we saw those glimpses, the first two preseason game. And I, I was at both of the joint practices with the Panthers. You saw the quarterback you hope to see in Josh Allen. And then he made that one friggin' throw, right? against the Lions, where we had to be reminded that Josh Allen is still capable of doing that. Now, he owned it. Sean McDermott's talked about it. Brandon Bean's talked about it. It's not like it got swept under the rug. Everyone kind of acknowledged it and and, and owned it and realized that he can't do that, and I think he forced that throw because the emphasis of that game was to just run the football. He only had six passing attempts, and he wanted to make something happen, and hopefully it was a good teachable moment that it got it out of his system early on. And uh, that's kind of whatever, for whatever reason, that's kind of like tossed a wet blanket over some of this optimism right now for this season. But it's all right there for Josh. He's got all the physical talent in the world. Let's sit back and watch him develop into a top flight quarterback. Well, those are, you mentioned one of them, the flaws. He's got a lot to overcome. Can he live to fight another day on a play instead of trying to hit home run every time, trying to make something out of nothing every time? Just sometimes you need to throw that ball into the stands or at somebody's ankles. You got to worry about his health. I mean, he's a very good athlete. He's, He's very capable of extending plays like a Big Ben or like a Cam Newton. He could flat out run in the open field, but you're inviting a lot of hits. In 16 games as a starter, you got to worry about his health, given the amount of hits that he's going to take. 
probably anyway, especially if he plays like he did last year. What on the potential negative side worries you the most about Josh Allen? And do you think, realistically speaking here, not just as a fan, but as an analyst, that he's capable of really overcoming the negative things about him? You know, I think we're going to see a big opportunity in week one against a Greg Williams defense, right? The big thing I have concerns with with Josh Allen is decision-making under pressure and being able to handle pressure, remain poised, and, and really hang tough and hit good throws. When when pressure's coming, that means that guys are open. How comfortable is he in those moments to be able to know where his outlets are and get him the football accurately? You think about this matchup with the, with the Jets. They don't have any dynamic pass rushers off the edge. But what they do have is Greg Williams, who's going to put five, six guys on the line of scrimmage. Some of them are coming. Some of them are going. you got an offensive line that hasn't really played together. And how is Josh Allen going to be able to sit in there and, and, and hit his back foot and get the football out to Cole Beasley? Get the football out to those running backs and, and really make them pay. Hit Josh, hit John Brown on a, on a deep route early. That'll get those guys uh, hesitant. It, Greg Williams hesitant to really send those guys at him. So it's how does he respond in those moments and uh, we're going to find out pretty early here with the with this with this Greg Williams defense in Week One. Before I get to some Bills season predictions for you, shortly before we started taping, I went on Twitter and asked fans for their big bold Bills season predictions. I'm going to read a handful of these off. Some of these are so ridiculous, I'm not going to bother reading them. In fact, some of the ones I'm going to read are pretty ridiculous. Let's see if you got any reactions from these. All right, PVT Glory tweeted, and this is his bold prediction. Duke Williams ends the season on the main roster and leads the team in TD receptions. All right, I can see him making the roster for sure. Yeah. Leading the team in receptions is kind of silly. I guess this becomes more of another question for you. Why do you think, maybe it's just the same way with every team, it's not just Bill's fans specifically, but fans like a player and they really latch onto him. I like Duke Williams. I think he could have a future with this team. Is it a little bit telling that he got cut and... 31 other teams around the league had an opportunity to put him on the roster and didn't. I mean, of course, he probably had multiple offers to join another practice squad. But if somebody really wanted to roster him that bad and thought, saw that much potential in a guy like this, they could have easily just claimed him and he'd be on their roster. Yeah, there's there's no question that was a very telling thing. And then just also Duke's not a great athlete and and he wins with size, physicality, toughness, all that type of stuff. I appreciated the preseason that he had, but you know, there's there's a calculated risk here because the NFL is trending towards more separation guys. And Duke Williams isn't really ever going to get that separation. And now he's going to play in regular season games. He's not going against third and fourth cornerbacks anymore. He's going to have to catch those contested balls against guys like Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard and Stephon Gilmore. It's a different ball game now. All right, next one here. <laughs> Another one. Tom Gradwell says, Singletary rushes for over a thousand yards. Well, you know what? Maybe if Gord breaks his leg in half in week one, that happens. Realistically, let me ask you this, okay? LaShawn McCoy led the team last year in rushing. Actually, among running backs, Josh Allen led the team in rushing. LaShawn ran for 514 last year. Let's put a number at 600, over under, 600 yards rushing for Singletary as a rookie. What do you got? Um, I, I'm going to take the over on that, but mostly just because of you know, at 600 yards rushing, that's 37 and a half yards a game. And I think that he can probably average 40 or 50. I do think there's going to be a volume p component of this that's going to restrict him. You're going to see Frank Gore get touches. You're going to see TJ Yeldon get touches. So I think Devin Singletary may get the bulk, but the bulk may be 55, 60 percent. 
but I'll take the over on 600 yards. 37 and a half. Did you figure that out on the fly? I absolutely no, I, would need a calculator to know that. No, I, I am terrible at math, but I heard you start to do that. So while I had my computer open, I went ahead and opened the calculator and did that on the fly. <laughs> well done. Well done. All right. Next one. Gigi Tedeschi says, all right, this is a little ridiculous. Six pro bowlers. And again, I want to remind you, these are bold predictions, all right? Six yeah. pro bowlers on a number one defense. No, six, I'll answer that part for you. Six pro bowlers on one defense ain't happening. Number one defense, sure. Who are a couple guys on this defense or anyone you think on this defense that realistically could be a pro bowler? How many guys could you get up to realistically? Yeah, realistically, I, either safety. So there's two in Hyden Poyer, Trey White, three, uh, Tremaine Evans, four, Matt Milano, five, Jerry Hughes, six. I think there's your six guys with legit chances. So you think realistically six guys from Buffalo could end up on the Pro Bowl this year? Yeah, I don't expect that to happen, but I think there's a there's a reasonable belief that those six guys could be Pro Bowlers at the end of the year. I'm sure you're right, but it feels like the Bills haven't had six Pro Bowlers in the last oh, I'm decade. Not, <laughs> I'm, not predi- I'm not predicting it by any means. Right. I'm just saying if, there, if there's a possibility of six guys, that would be the ones I'd identify. Man with a bunch of numbers, Todd says, special teams will straight up be responsible for two losses. That's that would suck. Could happen. Well, I mean, I've I, you know I've been on the ledge with Corey Bajorquez for a long time now, and I can't believe he's going to be the punter. He's a high school caliber punter. He has no consistency. And you think about a football team like this that you know the Bills I think are going to be very competitive. I, I don't think they're a pushover. I think they're going to win enough games for us to be happy. But the bottom line is little things matter when you're not a dominant team. You know, they're not the Rams and the Rams have good specialists, right? The Rams have the best punter in the league and Johnny Hecker. Yeah. All right. So like maybe that was a bad idea, but like little things matter more than ever for teams like the Bills. And when you don't have a legitimate course to winning in special teams and winning that field position battle, we saw it show up in the preseason. The Bills are working long fields because they can't flip it because their punter's terrible. I have great concerns about the punting situation. I don't know if I'm going to tie it to two wins, but just understand that I'm on the ledge with it. Sure, that's perfectly understandable. All right, Matt Brass won. Cole Beasley gets 100 receptions. I think that's a little bit, aiming a little too high. But I like it. Me, I like it. Let me go. Well, let me go one further here because I think this one's a little more realistic. At Justin Barons, he says, Jerry Hughes gets double-digit sacks for the first time since 2014, and Cole Beasley gets over 75 catches for the first time in his career. What do you think? I'm buying on both of those. I mean, think about, okay, so 16... A 16-game sample size to get to 100 catches is is 6.25 catches per game. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the one game, that Carolina game, he was targeted five times in a series in a a quarter and a half and caught five balls. I think Josh Allen's going to five find Cole Beasley. It's hard for me to predict 100 catches. 100 is the record for receptions by a Bills receiver in a season. But there's if if there's anyone that I ever believe can break it, I do think it's Cole Beasley. If he has seven catches a game. That's going to be well over uh, over that 100 mark. And yeah, give me the double-digit sacks for Jerry Hughes. There's better pressure this year. That's been the problem with Hughes. He's been great at getting pressure, but he's the only one getting it. And now that you have complimentary pressure on the other side, you feel like Trent Murphy's ready to step up. Shaq Lawson, pressure up the middle from Ed Oliver. Jerry Hughes' really good pass rushing efforts won't be wasted because now the quarterback can't just run the other way and get away from him. There's some national media out there who hate Allen who might be Hard pressed to find Josh Allen 100 completions this year, let alone to, <laughs> let alone to 100 to Cole Beasley. Last couple here: SM Pratty, Tremaine Edmonds is a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. That's shooting very, very high. Yeah, it's it's shooting high. Um, I love Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, I've 
talked about him a lot, and I think he's getting ready to explode as, as a really premier defensive playmaker. We saw it last year. I mean, he grew throughout the course of the season. I acknowledge it early on. He was still finding his way. He was slow to react. You know, he just wasn't keying and diagnosing very quickly, but it did start to happen towards the end of the year, and he has great physical traits. I mean, rare size athleticism for the position, and we saw this preseason, a, a guy that's playing a lot faster. He's trusting his keys, and he's getting downhill. And I think that there's a good chance that he, you know, look, he really has a big time season. Top five defensive player of the year is is pretty rich uh, just because, you know, there's going to be some guys out there that put up some monster numbers. And I, it might be a next year thing for Tremaine, but I'm, I'm really optimistic about his future. At T-Shirt University says Josh Allen leads the league in fantasy points. Come on, man. Seriously. I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> there's, I don't a, think so. there's a more realistic one. This is the last one, too. Old man Stebbs. Allen gets over 25 touchdown passes. That's a fair question. You got that over or under right now. If I was going to tell you to place a bet, 25 touchdowns for Josh Allen through the air, would you take the over or under? My money, I got. I would take the under. Me too. I think so as well. <laughs> All right, let's get a couple of Bills predictions from you. Team MVP. Team MVP. I have, uh, I have Tremaine Evans, actually. Um, I think that he's going to have a, a big, big season in the middle this year. Very confident in year two. Better players around him. Uh, you know, I know they returned 10 starters, but I think the depth of the unit overall is better. And he was a 20-year-old 20, 20 rookie last year. And uh, and I think he's really going to settle into his role. And I think the Bills will, will look at this season and say, you know what, damn it, Tremaine Emmons is a freaking good player. I agree with every single reason you just said. Plus, I think he has the benefit of just doing his job without a lot of fanfare at this point right now. Again, all the headlines on Josh Allen. This guy, I think, is going to go out and become a dominant player. What about rookie of the year? I think this is an Ed Oliver slash Devin Singletary discussion. I just don't know if the if the volume is – Devin Singletary is going to touch the ball a lot. But I think it's going to be eaten into too much uh, for him to really claim this. I'm going to go with Ed Oliver. I think he's going to play a ton. And the Bills are going to create opportunities for him to get – uh, in situations where his explosiveness can really be taken advantage of. I think it'll be at Oliver. I agree. Breakout player. Saran Neal. This is my guy. And, and I, you know, look, there, to me, there's some low-hanging fruit here, like Tremaine Edmonds or, or Josh Allen, uh, or even like Matt Milano. But I think those Matt Milano broke out last year. I agree. Get, give me Saran Neal, who I think is going to star in sub-packages. He's going to be a big part of the special teams. And he's going to be one of those matchup eraser type guys that, you know, there could be a big slot. There could be a, a, a flex tight end, and he could play man coverage on him. I think the Bills love him as a blitzer. Uh, we've seen that a little bit last year and in the preseason as well. And, and I think that he's going to be put in very specific situations to make splash plays. Give me him as a player that I think people look at as a late-round pick from a couple years ago and uh, for a guy that people value as a really important special uh, special teams and sub-package player. I'm going to preface this by saying he needs to stay healthy, which the way he plays is a big risk. But I love Teron Johnson. If he could stay healthy, I think this guy could be an absolute stud in that nickel corner role. So physical. I love him a lot. What about on the other end? Biggest stud. <laughs> I have I have Cody Ford written down. I think I think there's a lot of expectations for Cody Ford. Um, people love him. They should. He's very exciting. And I think I don't know if he's going to hold the spot all year. The Bills have a lot of depth. I think he's had enough struggles to this point for me to be worried about it. I think he's got a big jump, like I've already kind of alluded to, coming from the Big 12 to the NFL. And I think it's okay. Like, he could be a starter next year. It's okay if you're not, you know, a, a, an amazing player from day one. I actually, this is an article that I'm writing. It comes out on Thursday on the Draft Network. It's about day one rookie starters. There's only projected to be 28 of them. 
Last year, there was only 29. All right. So it's not normal to be a day one rookie starter. It's okay. And I just think based on expectations for Cody Ford, I think he's going to miss the mark a little bit. But I do think he has the upside of being a very solid long term starter. I agree with your take on him. I personally, I'm going with Zay Jones. He led the team last year in receptions, touchdowns, and yards. I don't think he's going to sniff the lead in anything. I, just something about him right now that I'm not liking at all, man. I just, I don't know what his future is going to be with this team. But anyway, last one here. Give me your Bills season record. When the season's over, what are they going to be? <laughs> nine and seven. I'll go with nine and seven. Um, I, I see there's, I think there's a course for 10 wins, maybe 11. I think there's probably a ceiling of seven or eight wins. So I kind of went with safe right in the middle there. The key for this team to get to 9, 10, 11 wins is taking advantage of an early schedule, right? There's there's a lot of winnable games when you look at the first half, and they have to hit hit the ground running. And I have concerns about that just because, you know, the offensive line hasn't really worked together, and, and I think that matters in terms of Josh Allen being able to hit the ground running. Defense should keep him in games, but I think realistically eight or nine wins, and I'll, I'll go with nine. People are going to think that we're sharing our notes because I got nine and seven too. I agree. I agree with everything you said. I think if they could go 4-0 against the Jets and the Dolphins, that could lead to 10. But that just, yeah. it doesn't work out that way. It's always it good in theory, but you know how it is. It don't work out that way. I think 9-7 and seven would be a pretty good season for this team right now. Where they're at, second-year quarterback, a lot of young guys on the team. The offensive line, not quite sure where some of the guys are going to fit. So I think 9-7 and seven would be pretty good. I do want to bounce around, and we'll do this a lot quicker around the league. I just got a couple of few things for you. And then we'll get to some predictions there. Josh Rosen, man, I this guy could not have a more unlucky, brutal start to his career. So he gets drafted to Arizona last year, the fourth quarterback. They get a new coach. They take they get the first overall pick, which gives them affords them the opportunity to take Kyler Murray. If they don't have that first pick, maybe they don't take Murray. They don't get him. So he's already out there. He goes to Miami. They're awful. They're, they're not going to, of course, they're not going to say they're tanking, but they're tanking, man. Let's be real here, okay? And he's still not even the starter as a young guy. He's playing behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, which in some regards I get because that offensive line's terrible and the quarterback's going to get murdered and Fitz is probably better, more suited to handle that. But Lewis Reddick from ESPN said he's been set up to fail. I kind of agree. Isn't this guy's kind of bullshit start to his career? Yeah, and I know that Josh Rosen doesn't have a lot of fans. People have strong opinions about Josh Rosen, but I think anyone can kind of take a take a high-level look at this and realize that the two situations that he's been inserted into are literally just the two worst situations we've seen in the NFL over the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, a one-and-done coach in Steve Wilkes, his offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, was was fired after seven games in Arizona last year. And then for him to go to Miami, and I, I mean, it's Miami's not just tanking. I mean, they are taking it to another level. Sure. Any, any, any reasonable player that they've had, I mean, even look at Nate Orchard. Nate Orchard's not even, it's like a barely rosterable player, but there's a thought that he could be like their best pass rusher this year. They let him go. Vincent Taylor, uh, a promising young defensive tackle out of Oklahoma State a couple years ago, they let him go too. I mean, it, it is just not conducive for a lot of players, much less a young quarterback. And, and I feel bad for Rosen because I think he's talented. I remember about 15 months ago, had me and you been having this conversation, it would have been an Allen versus Rosen debate yeah. about who the Bills are going to take a quarterback. And there are a lot of Josh Rosen fans out there. Just, yeah, he couldn't ask for a worse start to his career. What about some of these running backs? Le'Veon Bell last year, Melvin Gordon this year, Zeke, well, Zeke just signed literally before, not long before we started taping this podcast here. Are running backs holding out? Is that going to become like an every year thing now? These big name running backs holding out to get paid? 
it's certainly trending that way. Um, you know, you got to, what's the next one? What Christian McCaffrey, he's going to want his, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's probably a lot of it is just the, the perception over this running back situation and that they, you know, they do or don't matter and just the decline of the position and all that type of stuff. But, and these guys are doing whatever they have to do to make sure that, all right, well, if you want me, well, you got to have to pay me. And, and that's happened. I respect Todd Gurley a lot. I felt like he did that without a holdout, but, uh, yeah, these guys are really fighting for their value right now, and we're seeing more holdouts, and I don't know if that's going to change. I think the NBA has a lot to do with things. That's a league where players are getting the power, and the NFL is trying to be that way. Obviously, it's a lot harder in the NFL. Speaking of getting paid, by the way, Jared Goff got his aid, $134 million, 110 guaranteed. What's your take on that? And if he's getting paid that in maybe one or two years, what the hell is Patrick Mahomes going to get, man? <sighs> Oh man, yeah. So I guess Jared Goff's not a not a system quarterback. Huh? They thought highly enough oh. of him to, to <laughs> back up the Brinks truck. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, that's just what happens, right? Like I think in the last like uh, six months or something, there's been like seven different quarterbacks that have reset the quarterback market, right? We have like Russell Wilson and, and Carson Wentz and uh, Ben Roethlisberger. It just it just keeps happening. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm optimistic for Goff. I think he's a good player. I thought. He had plenty of moments last year where you realize that it's not just Mc, just McVay. This is a guy that can hit throws down the field and uh, got him to the Super Bowl last year. And so you, it's a quarterback-driven league. If you got one, you better keep him because it's hard to get one. Where would he rank? Let's just say, and I'm putting you on the spot here, to be honest, but let's just say you're the GM of a team right now, okay? And cap's not an issue. And you could go out and you could sign any quarterback today to maybe a five- or six-year huge money contract deal would golf be like in your top three or four? I'm kind of thinking out loud as I'm doing this, and I'm not sure that he would for me. No, that's a, that's an interesting way to put it. I don't think he would for me. I, there's other quarterbacks I would like more, uh, certainly in the top ten. But I think I could, you know, just off the top of my head, I'd probably probably rather have Mahomes, Mayfield, Wentz. I know that might be controversial. Uh, maybe, I just yeah, maybe Watson, but maybe you yeah, Watson's issue to worry about with him. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of good young quarterbacks. Sam Darnold. You know, there's a lot of good young quarterbacks out there right now that I, uh, you know, I think I'd think about this a lot more than, you know, just top three. I think that might be rich. Last thing here. Okay. HBO hard knocks with the Raiders to me, very disappointing this year. It's so, <clears throat> it was okay, but like, there was so much potential for this to be like the best one ever. Yeah. Gruden. That was cool. Plenty of AB, which I thought was pretty cool, but barely any Mike Mayock at all. Vontae Burflick. Richie Incognito, I mean, you had all the ingredients there to have a legendary lightning rod of talk when it comes to, to hard knocks, but it was boring this year. It was very dull almost. And considering that team and that organization with those players, very, very, it left me wanting a lot more. Yeah, same, same here. You know, my wife and I love hard knocks. It's been appointment TV for us for years. And, you know, look, this year was just a letdown. Maybe part of that is the expectations, but it just wasn't the lovable storylines. And I think A.B., you know, as interesting as he was, he got old at, at a point. And same thing with John Gruden. I mean, like there was some really fun John Gruden moments, but there was also some other moments where you're just like, I, I'm, ty- I'm tired of him. And so I think it was a bit of a letdown. And I and I, I went in on this. I went in on this a little bit on Twitter and some people came back at me and said, look, the Raiders dictate what gets put out there. And so maybe a lot of that is just control that they had. And, you know, they didn't let him in Gruden's office. And Mayock was just, I mean, I mean, afterthought of, he probably had three minutes of airtime. So, 
uh, I want to see more of that. I mean, that was one of the very compelling storylines for me. So I'm not sure how much of this we can we can blame here because maybe the Raiders dictated, but I don't feel like HBO did did a good enough job of really just digging in here and, and, and giving us what we want. All right, last thing here we'll wrap up with NFL predictions. You better bring it because I'm telling you now, I have you on again sometime down the road and you can bet your ass I'm going to be bringing these up. If you nail them, I'm going to give you all the props in the world. If you don't, I'm going to kind of bust your balls a little bit. So let's start AFC, okay? Give me your division winners and your two wild cards. We'll start there. All right, my division winners, I have Patriots, Steelers, Texans, and Chiefs. My wild cards, Chargers, and Titans. Okay, I got Patriots. I got the Browns, bro. Texans, Chiefs, and the wild card, I'm going to go Colts and Ravens. And by the way, this is the only predictions that I'm doing as well. So I'll also put my my own shit on blast if I have to afterwards. What about the NFC? Let's flip it around. What do you got? Uh, my division winners are Eagles, Packers, Saints, and Rams. My wild cards, Cowboys and Falcons. All right, I got three of those four winners. I got Eagles, Packers, Saints, and I got the Seahawks in a stunning Woo! winning the West. And I got the Rams and Dallas as my wild cards. By the way, dude, NFC might be loaded this year. Oh. I got Atlanta out. I got Chicago. Didn't they go 12-4 and four last year? Yeah. I got yeah. them out. I got Minnesota out. I got Atlanta yeah. out, who a lot of people like a lot. NFC is going to be loaded it's this year. It's stacked. It's stacked. You better win your division because wild card is going to be crazy. Yeah, we'll come back to the championship, conference championships, and the Super Bowl at the end. First, I want to get your first two picks in the 2020 draft. Who's going to be on the clock one and two? Usually I would say who's number one, but I'm pretty sure we're both going to agree that Miami is a big favorite to finish dead last. So if they're picking first, and I'm pretty sure you're going to say Miami, who would you have picking second? Yeah, assuming there's no trade, like the the team that earns the number two pick, give me the Arizona Cardinals. All right, I'm going to go Cincinnati. Strong. Yeah, I I can live with that. I can live with that. NFL MVP. Carson Wentz. I'm I'm buying hard on the Eagles. You're and Carson all in Wentz on Philly. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, look at 17, man. He was on hell of a pace. He's healthy. That team is loaded around him. Give me Carson Wentz. I don't know how much better it's possible for Mahomes to play than he did last year, but I think he'll repeat what he did last year, and that'll be more than enough for him to win MVP. Offensive and defensive rookies of the year. I'm going Devin Bush, linebacker for the Steelers. I think there's a clear path for him to really jump in and make a lot of plays. That defense is good. It's better now with him. They're more firm on the back end. I think he's going to make a lot of splash plays. My rookie of the year, this got really tough for me because I don't know if I believe in Kyler to be that right away. The receiving options are tough. The tight ends, I don't really think they can win it. So I got back to these running backs, and there's a lot of running backs that are going to be starters this year. David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, uh, uh, Josh Jacobs. You've got Devin Singletary, right? There's a lot of guys that are going to be starters. I just believe in Josh Jacobs in terms of being the one that's going to claim the most market share. I think he'll have the numbers. Give me Josh Jacobs from the Raiders. All right. I'm being unimaginative here, but I am going to go Murray. I do agree with what you said, though. Defense, I like White from Tampa Bay. I think he's going to be a an impact player right away. What about your big breakout star? Do you have somebody who's going to, who's going to rise above this year and become a big star that maybe they're not quite yet? O.J. Howard, tight end from the Bucs. He put him with Bruce Arians. He's as physically gifted as a tight end as we've seen come out. He's already been really good. I don't know why people don't talk about him more. He's had some injuries. If he stays healthy with Bruce Arians, with Jameis Winston, who's in the contract here, that that offense has been good over the last couple years. I think it's going to be really good this year. Get ready for some big numbers for O.J. Howard. I think people will start calling him a top two, three tight end by the end of the year. All right, that's a good one. I'll tell you what, man. I'm kind of being a Notre Dame homer here, but I really like Will Fuller. I thought last year ahead in the week or year three, 
he was going to have a breakout year, and then he got hurt kind of early on. But with Hopkins there, Watson throwing the ball, I think Fuller could be a 1,000-yard receiver this year. So that's going to be my guy. What about, I don't know if I gave this to you ahead of time, what about big breakout surprise team? What's a team that you think is going to be a lot better than most people think? You know, um, I don't know if this is a big shocker, but I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were 8-7-1 last year, and I think everyone's buying hard on the Browns, and I get it. I love a lot of what they have in place there. I get real nervous about the personalities that they have combined with the head coach and Freddie Kitchens, who I think is a total wild card. So a lot of expectations there. I think they'll win seven or eight games, but I think Pittsburgh is the team with the Hall of Fame quarterback and elite offensive line, you know, Pro Bowl weapons and Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner, a top 10 defense from last year that just got better with Devin White, with Steven Nelson at corner. Those young safeties have another year of experience. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers as a dominant football team this year. All right, I'm going to stick with Seattle. I think they're, I think they're going to win the NFC West, so that would be mine. What about a fantasy flop? This is this one was tough for me. I um I don't necessarily think I have one just slam dunk. I'll give you three guys that I would definitely stay away from. Okay. Eric Ebron, Mark Ingram, Todd Gurley, I don't trust. And if you think Pat Mahomes is doing 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns again, I don't think so. I think he's gonna have a great year, but I don't if you're expect if you draft Pat Mahomes and you expect that, I think you're ready for a letdown. Okay. I'm gonna go with Zach Ertz, okay? I like Kelsey, I like Kittle. I know Ertz is going pretty much third in every draft, second or third round guy. I like him. He's a good player. I'm not hating on him at all, but I don't think he's a second round guy or a third round guy. I, there's a probably three or four tight ends after Kelsey and Kittle that I like as much as Ertz. So Wentz is back. He's going to distribute that ball over the place. I might, again, I'm just like you said, none of the players you said, you're not saying they're bad players. We're talking fantasy here. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ertz will be that good in terms of fantasy. All right. Big, bold season prediction, whether it's a player or whether it's a team. I want to go with the te- uh, player here. I think there's a player that I think is going to have a monster year, and Bills fans are going to hate me for this, but his name is Sony Michelle, running back for the for the New England Patriots. I've kind of been starting to preach this a little bit on Lockdown Bills, but I, I think that the Patriots are going to be a dominant run team this year. And Sony Michelle, their number one pick from 2018, is perfect for the style of run that they want to do. They're going to throw a lot of bodies at you. And he has great vision, great contact balance, and I think he's going to be a problem. I think the Patriots are going to be great offense. Tom Brady's still going to be a great quarterback, but I think this this run game is going to be relied upon heavily, and Sony Michelle's going to be a horse. All right, I wrote down two here. Number one, everyone talks about Brady falling off a cliff and Eli Manning being done. That could that could be very well be true. I think yeah. that this is the year that Philip Rivers falls off a cliff. So that's one and two. Bills fans are going to like this, okay? And I'm not saying it to appease Bills fans. I truly <laughs> feel this. I don't think the Patriots are going to make the AFC Championship this year. I think they're going to win in division because they're in the AFC East. I think they're going to lose in the in the divisional round, though. So I predict the Patriots do not even make the AFC Championship. Speaking of, last couple here. AFC Championship prediction. Who do you got? Got Chiefs over Patriots. Never been a more important year for the Patriots to not get to the Super Bowl. As Bills fans... We've got those four Super Bowls in a row. We cannot let the Patriots take it from us. Give me the Chiefs over the Pats in the AFC Championship game. I never thought it. I forgot about that. This would be oh, four I, in a row. How did I forget about that? We can't let it happen. <laughs> well, I, I got the team that's winning with you, Kansas City, but I am drinking that Kool-Aid like never before because here's another stunner, and that's the only reason why I didn't say it before is I wanted to save it for here. I think the Browns are making it all the way to the AFC Championship. I think the talent is there. We all know that. I think they're going to play well, man. I really like them a lot this year. They got top to bottom. They're as talented as anyone in the league. So 
I got KC over Cleveland in the AFC. What do you got in the NFC? I think I've kind of tipped my hat here with the Eagles. I have the Eagles beating the Saints. All right. I got the Saints going and I got them beating the Packers. So this is it, man. Last question, then I'm going to let you go. Super Bowl pick. What you got? Eagles over Chiefs. And I got Kansas City winning it over the New Orleans Saints. So we both like the Chiefs. That's for sure. (laughs) Easy to like. Their defense, I think people are sleeping on what they've done this offseason to get their defense better, bringing in Frank Clark and bringing in, uh, who's the safety? Juan Thornhill they brought in. Tyron Matthews in the mix here. I I don't, I think they're going to be good. Chris Jones is a stud. A defense is going to be better. All right, everyone, give Joe a follow on Twitter at the Joe Marino. Also follow the podcast on Twitter, Locked On Bills. And of course, waste no time getting up to speed with next year's draft prospects. I know for casual football fans, it sounds crazy to say, but go to thedraftnetwork.com. That that should never stop, man. You guys are always going. I appreciate you, man. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for your time. I know you're busy. This is a very busy time of the year for you as well. You got your own podcast, which again, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's always fun talking with you. Thanks for having me back. Hi, my name is Matt Kundal, and this portion of the Moranalytics podcast is powered by my company, MattKundalVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Episode number 150 in the books. Really cool. Good stuff. Special thank you to my man, Joe Marino from the Draft Network, also Locked on Bills podcast. That was a lot of fun. Buffalo Bills season preview, NFL season preview, lots of predictions, lots of good insight, lots of takes. Love having Joe on the podcast. He's one of the best in the business. Trust me when I tell you that. Appreciate you, Joe. Thank you very much. Guys, before I get out of here, too, by the way, I want to ask you that if you enjoy listening to this podcast, that you please go ahead and subscribe to it. It's free. When you subscribe, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. If you got an iPhone, and nowadays most people do, just open it up. You see that purple app on it that says podcast. Put your thumb on there, open it up, type in Moranalytics Podcast in that little search box. You'll see it. It comes up. Hit subscribe. That's it. That's all you got to do. Nothing else. If you don't have an iPhone or Apple, you can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are found. There's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Also, if you're kind enough to do that, please also take a minute, rate and review the podcast. I say it all the time because it's important for me anyway. It really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. And then last but not least, of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PamaranTweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, all kinds of other stuff. Serious stuff, silly stuff. So do that as well. Thank you again for listening. I mean, what more can I say? I I say it all the time, and I really, truly mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to give this podcast a listen, whether it's at home, in the car, at the office, the gym, wherever it may be. I'm so humble and grateful and appreciative of all you. So thank you. 
very much. Enjoy the weekend. NFL opening weekend. Can't wait. Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets. We're going to have so much to talk about on Tuesday. Have a good one. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.